0: Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is Jessica Vann, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, and I have Shelly Trask in the studio with me today. Hi, Shelley. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We are looking forward to this, and... Um, our listeners will soon understand why I'm going to thank Shelly for stepping up to the plate on what is kind of a little bit of a, a hairy subject. So I, I want to just first and foremost, thank you for being courageous and being willing to dodge this bullet for, for the team. Um, more on that shortly. But in today's episode, um, Shelly, who is currently the executive assistant to the CTO and co-founder of Slack, um, Shelley and I are going to be speaking about what it means to effectively work with and support a difficult executive. Shelly's been with Slack for three years and eight months, which means that she was actually able to ring the bell when Slack went public in 2019. That's pretty monumental. Um, She was also able to celebrate Slack's recent acquisition by Salesforce just a couple of months ago in July. Shelly is an avid thought leader in the EA community and enjoys mentoring up-and-coming executive assistants. And one of her favorite topics is what we're going to be talking about today, which is supporting a difficult person. I should also preface this by saying, in no way, shape, or form is Shelley's expertise on this subject uh, garnered through her current role at Slack, <laughs> she has a wonderful executive and she's actually um, very emphatically excited about um, working for who she supports. So this is more uh, in, in reflection on other situations you've been in in your career. Um, the word difficult can take on a lot of different definitions and that's something we're also going to talk about. Um, difficult is somewhat subjective in nature. It could mean that your exec has never had an EA before Uh, and therefore doesn't know how to leverage you, or maybe your executive is just a poor or kind of intermittent, sporadic communicator, or maybe your executive's personality is just flat out difficult. Um, Regardless of what it is that makes somebody difficult, today's episode is going to be really fun because Shelly's going to share her her strategies for how to get around the difficulty, how to navigate it, and still provide top-notch support. So once again, Shelley, welcome to our program.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for explaining that it's not about my current boss. The nope. check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I have to assume that you didn't develop this forte, so to speak, and passion for handling difficult bosses by, you know, working for puppy dogs in completely stress-free conditions, right? Um, so clearly you've, you've you've got some battle scars. Um, so to get us started, I'd love to just have you share some examples of kind of what you've encountered professionally and what you would classify as difficult situations or um, people that you've been tasked with in your career.
1: So I was actually hired to support um, someone at work who had really bad PR. He was not very well liked. He evidently was doing fairly well for the business. Hence the fact that, you know, they were willing to hire an EA for him. But he had a tendency to cancel meetings like five minutes before they should start. And he would just blow people off. He didn't really take anybody's feelings or needs into consideration. Um, But, you know, I earned his respect and I actually got along with him really well. So never did we have friction together. Um, And I think that's part of it is, is just like the way you execute. So, you know, I worked with him for the first year. I worked with a lot of other execs after that. And then I wound up supporting a lot of people who were considered difficult in different ways. So for instance, at the same job, I took on execs from a lot of different departments. And then I wound up taking on the CEO when the other EA of two EAs was unceremoniously fired. Um, And I was drowning, but I was somehow still standing. I think of some of that as my attention to detail and my work ethic. So basically, if you have a difficult person, you can not like me, you can not like my personality, but you can't say, Oh, man, Shelly makes a lot of mistakes, or she forgets to do this. And I missed the meeting because she did this, like difficult people look for mistakes. Mm. And when you execute well, and you think five steps ahead, they really don't have anything to throw at you. So I think that's one big point I wanted to make, which is like, yeah, you can be the hardest person to work for, but if you can't complain about the way your EA executes or what they're doing and how they're doing it, like you might like I, I heard my executives yell at other people. I have never been yelled at ever mm-hmm. by any
0: of the people I've supported. So that's a lot of pressure, though, Shelly. I have to say. Yeah, I commend you for for being willing to be in a situation where there's zero margin for error and and not allowing somebody to get the better of you, so to speak, or to have mm-hmm. any like dirt on you. But that's also a, a pretty exacting standard and pressure to have to exist in if you' if your if your mandate is, well, I can never make a mistake because I don't want this difficult person to have an opportunity to react poorly. Um, that's just that's just a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. um, you know and and I, I think that most really accomplished executive assistants such as yourself, are very accurate for the most part right they they are incredibly diligent incredibly thorough they don't make foolish mistakes they don't typically drop balls or or miss items that are you know preventable but we are also all human and i think even the best of the best um you know screw up
1: (laughs) yeah and i you know i get that feedback sometimes from other eas who are i don't know annoyed because they want, I think, more leeway to make mistakes or they don't want to be compared to someone who who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And that feels like a lot of pressure. Like you said, I don't really have an answer for that. Um, I think I I have pretty high standards for myself and I wouldn't give someone else work that wasn't up to my own standard.
0: You know, difficult, as we said in the in the intro, it's it's a relative thing. Right. And I think it can really vary wildly depending upon your personal definition, right? One person's definition of difficult might be that my boss expects me to respond to emails after 7 p.m., And we have other EAs that look at us sideways and go, uh, yeah, par for the course. Like, you know, so it's like, it's really, it's very, very subjective, right? Um, And it depends on your definition. It depends on your own personal tolerance for certain behaviors, conditions, triggers, traumas, you name it, right? Um, When you've been approached by EAs who've come to you seeking your advice on how to deal with a quote unquote difficult situation, what types of situations are they typically referring to as difficult?
1: So, as you said, when when I say difficult, I I mean, you know, you can mean fussy or you can mean mean people. But difficult can also mean people who've never been executives before. So they don't know how or when to delegate. They really don't know how to give you clear direction because they themselves don't really know what the role is. If it's their very first time job. Um, they don't know what they're doing. They're moving too fast. And they're not able to give you direction because they themselves are kind of like, you know, building the tracks as the train goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my least favorite exec profile, which is the person who leaves out context. So you're scrambling to do everything as a priority, because nothing is clearly prioritized. And maybe in addition, they don't really take the time to give you that priority. So you ask them, okay, but like, you've given me 30 things, which of these 30 things needs to happen first? And they're like, okay, see you later, <laughs> gotta go. Right. So we have all these varieties. We have the new exec, the too busy exec, the one who doesn't make time for to sync with you to give you a little more guidance. The non-responsive exec, maybe they're not responsive to anyone. The very picky, but like also changes their mind constantly exec, which I think is one of the impossible to support people. So you can be picky and you can be consistent. Or you can be <laughs> picky and you can change your mind all the time. And I don't really know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the no boundaries exec. So the one who's calling you on your birthday at midnight, hoping you can get that TPS report in. You have the perpetually late exec, the yes person, like the pleaser, or the one who says, yeah, yeah, no, we'll definitely talk about that raise. And then really never follows up. Um, and then I think the final one is really like the brilliant a-hole, like the right. woman who just... People tolerate because they know everything and they're brilliant, but they are so awful to work with.
0: I mean, can and we then just... I think sorry, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna
1: say, and then and then you pepper that, and you've got so you've got like your core role, which is working for your executive. But then you have the team dynamics. So you have your admin team. If if you're lucky enough to have a team,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in some companies you have some really, I think, some really toxic dynamics that I'm aware of. So you've got the mean girls, you've got people who are under respected by the C-suite team. So like the executive assistant role in the company isn't really respected and understood. And this can actually kind of lead into that mean girls territory. And when I say girls, I'm speaking about all genders. It's like, you know, based on the movie, Um, you have like the hardworking, but understaffed EA team. So we're just all kind of sweating bullets at all times. You have like people coming from a place of scarcity versus abundance, fighting for table scraps. And then I think a big one that we don't talk enough about is issues with diversity and inclusion and belonging at work. So, you know, when I looked around the table and I first started, you know, almost all my jobs, it did not look like a diverse group of people. And I can only imagine someone who doesn't look like me would feel even more so that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What a mess. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. I'm like, who's signing up for that? That's, I mean, I, I'm like laughing here because it almost sounds like, like, these, these archetypes particularly in, within the case of the executives like these almost sound like like villainous archetypes right like we could almost break a comic book series out of these archetypes that you described like the executive that over promises and under delivers the one who doesn't know how to manage their time the one who's just a straight-up jerk the one who has no boundaries like and yet I'm laughing because I've I mean these are all very real relatable um Personifications of in you know of of traits and people that we all know and met and have, have worked with in one capacity or another. So, um, I'd love to hear you kind of unpack some of those. Right. I mean, we we probably can't unpack all of them, but maybe we can take a couple of your favorites um, oh, yeah. and just kind of like I'd love to hear your thoughts on. What do you do with that? Right. Like, what do you do with the individual that is, uh, for instance, perpetually late or the one that that you worked for that canceled meetings was notorious for canceling meetings five minutes before they were supposed to start, which is just such a slap in the face to everybody who was supposed to be part of that meeting. Right. So I'd love to hear you kind of like wade through that quagmire of horror and (laughs) tell us how you would um, address those difficult situations one by one.
1: Some of the best training, and I've been through some pretty good coaching training through um, companies I've worked for, where we do like employee coaching and we talk about you know identifying someone else's values and what they value and hold true before speaking about something that might be difficult. I think one of the things to start with is before doing any of this you know, problem solving, it's important to identify what does the other person or people hold true and what speaks to their values? So for example, if someone really wants to be respected So they've got a bit of an ego or they just don't want people to disrespect them. You really want to explain to them how changing their negative behavior will add to people's perception of them. So I think that's a big one. Um, Let's say you've got the, let's see, picking from my many executives, um, you've got the basically non-responsive exec. So my, my, you know, behavior impact statement for them would be, Hey, um, you know, you're not really responsive to not only just me, but also your direct reports. And the impact of that is that, um, I actually before I would say the impact, I would actually say, and I know that you care a lot about this company and I know you care a lot about attrition and you're just building out your team and you wanna make sure that people feel supported and that they you know, they have a leader who can be counted on. So you know, the impact of you not responding or the impact of you not checking in is that I think your team may begin to feel like it's not your value. So your your goal is not really aligning with, with what you're showing. Um, and I know that you care deeply about the team. So I know that you want them to be successful. You want them to feel like you know you've got their back. And so I would recommend that we start something where we can figure out how to get you to be more responsive. So I think you can use that behavior impact, by the way, on every single challenge at mm-hmm. work. I'm not saying it's going to work. I mean, I've got a couple exec profiles that I just don't think you can, like the picky but changes their mind constantly is just, that's a tough one. And then the other one is the lack of context exec. So Mm -hmm. the one who, like I supported someone who used to literally cut out the entire thread of discussion in every email and then forwarded the email to me and just say, Shelly, will schedule. (laughs) Right, right. I had hundreds
0: of emails that just said that in a row. Right. Yeah. What do you do with that? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Um, I love the way that you tackled that the first example of, you know, the executive that um, is not really displaying a regard for his or her team, direct reports, whatnot, through the way that they, you know, don't respond or are not um timely and, and, and things of that nature. I thought that was a really great example. And I, I like how you're also framing it in relation to, hey, this is what you've said is important to you. This is what you've said you care about. This is how you want to show up. This is how you want to be perceived and and received by by people, but that is in direct conflict, you know, with with how you're actually carrying on right now. Um I think that's such a, a a a gentle yet not it's not confrontational but it's it's sort of a gentle confrontation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I really like that. Let's do another one. Let's do can we do the picky one? The one that's yeah. picky and changes their mind and vacillates all the time?
1: Ooh, I'll try. I'll try okay. my best.
0: So, <laughs> I think okay, here's I got a brainstorm.
1: Um I think my response is I know you're exacting and so am I. I also have really specific you know the way i like to do things are very specific and i really respect that about you because i identify with you Um, but what is difficult sometimes is when you're exacting but it doesn't seem to be something i can follow so the pattern seems off and you know i'll make a decision that i'll think you'll be excited about and in the end i've made the wrong decision it can be really hard to guess what you really want when you're not consistent so if we could figure out a way to Put little buckets aside. Maybe there's buckets that you're willing to let me make decisions on your behalf, where you feel like you're going to be okay with whatever the decision you know that happens looks like. And then there are some things that are just um, absolutely you need to be involved, and and I will do what I can to to make sure that regardless of how things change, you know we get the results that you want. Um, that would make it a lot easier for me to support you, because in the end, what we want both is to make sure that the results show your desires. Um, So if we can work on the consistency and and making sure that not everything needs to change quickly, um, that will help me, you know, be able to kind of pivot faster for you.
0: Yep. And once again, it's all in the, it's all in the interest of what's, you know, what's going to service them more. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all, yeah, it's all from their perspective. I think too, like in that example as well, and this was kind of one of the archetypes that you talked about too, is you have that that persona um, of difficult executive that is the, the controller, right? And that just needs kind of absolute control, absolute authority, even when it's decisions that are relatively, you know, benign and don't carry grave stakes. It, some people are just fundamentally uncomfortable with relinquishing control. And, and that's a character type. That's an archetype of executive too. And, it's, and and so it's like you know, part of this is, yes, striving for consistency. Um, but it's also you know trying to work with them on what they're willing to relinquish and can they get comfortable giving up some of that control? It's funny
1: because I, I will talk about my current boss just for one second. What I love is, you know, he is he is a very um, I wouldn't call him a control freak, but he likes to be in control. And, and I respect that. He's incredibly smart and he knows what he's doing. Like I could not do his job for him. So the one thing he doesn't care about was lunch. Back in the day when we were in the office together, you know, we figured out very quickly I could pick one of maybe 10 items um, and I knew what he didn't like. And he never asked me about it. So we we try to really um like automate the things that I can do well, and that he doesn't need to be involved in. And of course, that can go from everything from lunch to presentations to, you know, decisions that need to be made. But I think identifying what your executive can let go of is going to be a really big game changer for both of you.
0: Yeah. The other thing that you mentioned, too, um, is that, you know, putting it in in the language of, um, I think you said, impact impact behavior and and so too, like for instance, in the interest of somebody that's about controlling uh, controlling decisions or the person that vacillates a lot, if if one of the things and values that they're striving for is greater lift and efficiency, then that type of behavior is in direct conflict with what their stated goal is, right? Because if they're constantly second-guessing your decision-making or causing you to have to redo decisions or redo actions multiple times because they either vacillate or need you know, control of everything, well, that's ultimately going to detract from efficiency and your ability to give them better leverage. So once again, I think it's like, as you very appropriately said, figure out what makes them tick – figure out what they value, figure out what their currency is, and relate the problematic behavior back to that and how it is is not serving that objective well.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you can figure out what really motivates and drives anyone in life, I think, and I don't mean that from like a, I'm not a person who's trying to persuade people at all times I'm really not like a conniving person at all but I think it just becomes a reflex once you're used to trying to figure out like oh that's what motivates you like for me I know what motivates me is excellence so what I tell my team all the time is sometimes it's okay to not be liked I think what would hurt me the most is if someone said I can't rely on Shelly so I find you unreliable would be so much more hurtful than I just don't like you yeah. <laughs> so yeah. figure out what that is what drives
0: you yeah yeah So when you've encountered a difficult circumstance, what is your typical reaction and process for how you address the situation?
1: I always take a deep breath because I think when we let our emotions get the best of us, I think that's we're thinking with our, you know, our dinosaur brain basically before we're really thinking through the next step. So try to take a deep breath, let your emotions drain out of you before moving and and saying anything if possible, if you're not in the middle of that conversation. Um, I try to play out the different scenarios in my head. So, if it's too big to like figure out the different pieces in my head, I'll make a list and I'll try to piece it together that way. I love to write everything down. So, I might even write out like a Google Doc about what's going on, you know, what their values might be, how I would um, kind of tackle that. Um, and then I would edit myself and I might even share it with a couple of trusted colleagues to say, hey, gut check, can you just, what would you do if I, you know, approached you with feedback like this? And how do you think that you would respond? And how should I edit this before I deliver it? Um, And then, of course, I would try to identify what what those values are. So, you know, uh, there's an example I can give, which is like, you've got the um, executive who always runs late. And I definitely supported that person. Um, So they're late to everything. They're constantly flaking. They're, you know, canceling those one on ones. And I would say something to them like real talk, you know, I noticed you've been running late to a lot of your one-on-ones and meetings. And the impact of that is that your direct reports feel undervalued. I know that you care about attrition. I know you want to make people feel respected. Um, So I'd suggest that we work together and see how we can keep you on time. And in between those statements, I might actually say, is there anything going on that you want to share with me that you know might help inform kind of how I cover for you? And so then I would try to get us to an agreement. So to that effort, you know, I'd love to add, you know, end your meetings five minutes early. Like we can use the Google Calendar setting where meetings just automatically end five and ten minutes early. Um, how does that sound? And see if they're you know, willing to get buy in for that. Um, and, and this kind of thing works for people who want to be liked, but it won't work for the brilliant a-holes. Like it only works for people who really care about other people and who want to be liked. Mm-hmm. Um, because that first boss that I mentioned, the one who was, you know, always canceling meetings and, uh, you know, he was fired after his first year mm-hmm. and that was pretty devastating for me too. I wound up, I wound up actually quitting my job because he was fired and I was put in a very strange position. Um, and I couldn't even really help him if I felt really, um, like I hadn't done my job because he was fired. I, even, I couldn't save you how much of it is me. And I mean, looking back, of course, none of it was me, <laughs> but But when you're like, you know, very young, you may not have that context
0: yet. Right. What would you what would the Shelley of today have done differently than the Shelley of yesteryear in terms of managing that situation? The Shelley of today
1: would have asked in the interview, when you say, how, you know, how do I deal with supporting difficult people? Can you explain more? <laughs> Can, you... <laughs> <laughs> Can
0: you define difficult? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. And, you know, is this a relationship that I'm going to have a real partnership? Mm-hmm. Um, does this is this person going to let me in? Are they really going to let me kind of co-pilot and be a thought partner for them? Because that's something I think we're all looking for. I don't think we often get it. Um, even I haven't had it very much. And it's, it's a really tough one to find.
0: Yeah. I think, too, and I, I, I use this word a lot, and in, in, I find it comes up a lot in these conversations, um, particularly with the podcast, is just this whole idea of, like, humility, and is someone corrigible or incorrigible? And even just asking them, like, you know, what is one behavior trait that you're working on right now to, to you know, to, to um, improve upon? Or what's one area of personal growth that you're cultivating or whatever like if they have an answer for that then i feel like they're attuned to themselves they recognize that there's room for improvement there's a commitment on some level to being self-aware and wanting to do things better differently whatever but um if they're just you know like you say you know the the brilliant a-hole type that doesn't see any problem with that behavior um you know, that's I mean, first of all, that's great if they're if they're if they're clear about that, then you can really decide if that's something you want to take <laughs> on or not. You know, and uh-huh. some people do take that on and they're fine with it, but it's it, it's helpful to know up front what you're getting what you're getting yourself into. One thing that I think I hear a lot or, or we hear a lot in the context of difficult situations um, is and you kind of alluded to this with the the executive that doesn't provide context but I think that's a big one for a lot of EAs of these executives that, you know, don't necessarily clue them in. They're not privy to what's going on. They get a lot of really cryptic email forwards that lack context or, you know, the executive just doesn't really disclose things. Um, they're, they don't make themselves available for questions or communication. So I think they end up feeling ultimately very siloed and kind of un- unhinged in terms of like, not not knowing what's going on. And, and, you know, how do you make decisions in the absence of context and information? So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that, because I, I will say that one seems to come up quite a bit for people.
1: That is the I would say that's the most consistent theme for all of us. Um, even in my position, I only get 30 minutes a week with Cal. And sometimes I have to give it up for other meetings. I try not to I will say, I really think it's important to maintain it. So don't give your one-on-one up first if you can help it um, because that one-on-one un- unblocks so much work that we can get done together. Um, but you know, in 30 minutes, what it means is if you only have 30 minutes a week to really get things done and to ask someone questions, you have to be really prepared. You have to have all of your lists ready. Um, for us, because we work in Slack, I have a channel with him where throughout the week I'm dropping in all of the things that I need him to do. I need him to look at, I need him to forward. And then if he doesn't get to them throughout the week before our one-on-one, we spend that time going over that together. Um, and and it's like rocket, you know, kind of like rapid fire back and forth. Okay. Did this, doing that, sending the email now, reading the email. Um, so you really do need to have at least a sync. Ideally in a perfect world, you could get a couple syncs a week, And I know some people's executives, so one of the issues people have is their executive will cancel on them or they'll blow them off. Or um, I've heard everything from, you know, they don't show up. They just kind of ghosted my one-on-one with them. Um, And I think you have to be very clear. So the conversation I would have in that situation with someone who doesn't seem to value the time that we spend together. Number one, I want to make sure that I haven't done anything to make them think that the time isn't worth spending with me. Number two, I would ask them the question, which is, you know, I I've noticed that you keep blowing off our one on ones, but I want to be really clear about what they're for. Sometimes they're going to be to talk about me and my career development, but most of the time it's talking about you and making you successful. So when you blow off the one on one, it shows me that you don't really have an interest in getting to the next step. So, like, you know, what can I do? to make it easier for you to find that time to spend with me? Is there a format we can collaborate in? Is there a document that we can share that you can reference before our time together? Um, Would you prefer to sync, you know, like sync offline? Are you an async person? Do you want, um, you know, some people don't want to do Zooms all day, so they want to do like a phone call or texts. I think you have to ask them what tooling they would prefer. Um, Try to come up with as much as much as you can, as many ideas about the formats in which people like to be, you know, communicated with. But I think the next step is to really say, you know, why am I here? Like if I'm not, if you're not meeting with me and I don't feel like I have an impact, I would say reach out to their direct reports and have some one-on-one time with each of them and ask them what it is that they need from your manager and what it is that you think, you know, what is it that you think I could help you with and deliver to them? Um, they may give you some color and some insight into issues they're having mm-hmm. with communication with them as well. Um, and also ask people on your admin team. So I would ask an EA whose who's executive meets frequently with my boss, if I were having issues with my boss and getting through to them, I would say, you know, does my boss show up on time to meetings with your exec? And are, you know, any anything you've got for me? Because I'm not hearing it right now.
0: If our listeners take anything away from from this, I think just the framing of how you approach those situations, I think is so effective of, you know, this is, I'm, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve together. This is what you've said you want. I'm here to help you achieve X, Y, and Z. You know, again, it's, it's all about them. Put it back on, I'm here for you. And um, how can we achieve great things together? If, if, you know, if, if I'm kind of, you know, not prioritized, right? Every once in a while,
1: I will come to Cal with a personal request and I make it really clear because, you know, I think he knows most of the time it's going to, our 30 minutes is going to be a hundred percent about him, what he needs, getting it done. But every once in a while, I'll say like, you know, I'm playing my card right now. I need you to go and talk to someone high up and like fix a thing for mm-hmm. me. You know, I need you to fight for me. And I really try to hold those cards. You know, I've only got a couple and I try to hold them really close and I don't use them unless I really need them. Um, but I think what that does is Number one, it shows that he knows I can take care of myself and he knows I can go fight my own battles if I need to. And then if I really need him to do something and it's it's personal or it's emotional, like he I think he will do that. He will have those conversations for me.
0: Um, Last one, the one that doesn't the, the one the executive that 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 does not convey context as far as like, you know, the email threads and things like that. I'm curious how you would try to ameliorate that behavior.
1: I wish I could go back in time and redo this one. This is such a funny one to me. I had a lot of different challenges at this one place, and it was a lot of different personalities I was supporting. And um, that one was really interesting. It was like, so you've taken an email thread that I think is probably 20 emails deep, and you have cut out everything, so I can't tell if this is a person you went to high school with, if um, you're raising money with them, if you are, you know, if they could be a potential customer and you want to, you know, sell to them, or if you want to collaborate with them. And so, if I could go back in time, I would have a heart-to-heart conversation and say, you know, when you do this, um, I can't really tell why you're cutting out that context, um, but if it's a trust problem. Let me assure you, I have your social security number, every credit card, and like <laughs> I own everything in your life. So if you can't trust me, I think we need to talk through that and get to a point, you know, where you understand. Like I've never done anything to show that you can't trust me. Um, so let's work on that. And I think what I need from you, so that's where the the me comes in, the me statement. You know, is I really need you to keep those threads on. But even better, um, I used to have a really cool. Um, Working kind of pattern with one of my executives, where they would forward me the thread. They would say, Shelly will schedule, but then they would send a second forward just to me. and they ha- we had like kind of a code. So it was, you know they might say something like, Shelley will schedule soon. Shelley will schedule, looking forward to it. And they depending on the way they said <laughs> things, I knew how soon to schedule. Mm. So we had a, key, you know, a secret key. Which meant like blow this person off. It's never going to happen. Uh, you know, schedule it tomorrow. It's a good friend. Right. I so love like, that.
0: I've never heard of that, but it's that's, that's pretty adorable.
1: I mean, that's the goal. That's the relationship. I think that we really all want to is when you're. And that takes. By the way, that takes time. If you are six months to a year into your new relationship with your executive, please don't feel like you should have that yet. Like. You know, Cal and I are now at 3.75 plus years mm-hmm. and we're still working on this stuff. Like, I'm still trying to crack him. He's he's still like a tough nut to crack, you know. Um, but this kind of stuff is exciting. So he actually, um, somebody reached out to him to schedule a one-on-one um, externally the other day. And their EA reached out to me and I said, oh, hey, yes, happy to schedule. Hey, by the way, I searched through his email and I noticed that he and this person actually met on this date, you know, regarding this topic, it was an intro from this other person. And I actually was able to help his new EA because that person probably, you know, this was a new company that he was at. So like, having that context of working together for, you know, almost four years has been really valuable because I start to connect a lot more dots for him.
0: Where do you draw the line, personally, between a difficult situation that is coachable and, you know, potentially has a solution versus one that is just incorrigible and needs to come to an end.
1: So I think we try to have the conversations that I've spoken about in this you know podcast where we talk about those behavior impact statements and you give it at least a couple rounds and you give it some time. And maybe if they have an exec coach, you know, go go to the coach, talk to the exec coach, actually. Um, as you're scheduling those executive coaching meetings for your executives, feel free to drop a line or two about the things that you actually think they might need help with. You know, you do your behavior impact statement, you have the heart to heart, you get real. Um, I, you know, I would be honest, if you know that this job isn't going to work, I would be pretty honest and say, you know, I, in order to be fulfilled in this role, I really need to have XYZ. Um, But in the end, I think, you know, do not stay in a role that is a dead end. If you do not see the light in the back of their eyes, you know, light up as you have this conversation, um, it's time to start looking for a new role. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is, you know, Einstein, I'm sure we've all heard it, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing it for three years like I did Mm -hmm. and nothing is changing it's time to go. And I actually think I stayed some places a little too long. Um, but you know, I'm really stubborn, too. And I want to think that I can change people. And, and it's really hard to change people.
0: So it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is the the particular flavor of difficult is not really what's the problem for you. It's it's more. Is there Is there some kind of record or demonstration that they're committed to working on the difficultness? Because really, like any flavor of difficult can be managed and dealt with and addressed if there's a genuine commitment to wanting to address it. If anything, I hope people take comfort in that, of not just necessarily throwing in the towel and going, oh, God, (laughs) you know, how did I get myself into this situation? How did I fail to see this? What am I going to do? but rather you know that difficultness is you know in some instances an opportunity to try to um steer and redirect and and positively influence that behavior i really do see that as the role of the executive assistant it's it it, it is so much about influencing and and steering and you know, um, helping to evolve these executives and individuals—it's—it's—it's it's, it's that as much as it is supporting them, it's also supporting their evolution um, from a behavioral perspective. And I really, I really, really, really feel strongly that EAs have an incredible um, opportunity for influence and impact that way.
1: Well, exactly. And you know, as you say, evolution. Actually, I'm reminded that. Within every executive, most executives, especially at smaller startups that I was a part of at the beginning, um, you are watching somebody completely evolve in their career from perhaps college graduate to first-time um, co-founder to first-time CEO, um, learning what the CEO role is. And really, you know, that's something that's been amazing to watch people go through, uh, you know, from the sidelines, but also as their partner. Um, And now, luckily, I've seen enough patterns where I can start to say, okay, well, this is what they need. They're in the CEO, like needing to repeat themselves more than they think they should phase. Mm. Um, Or they're at the point where they are unaware that some of their behavior isn't going to scale. And so we really need to work on scaling. And hopefully they'll, you know, hopefully they'll listen to me and they'll understand that, too.
0: What about those who are just, you know, flat out frustrated with their executives ways or habits what advice do you have for them
1: the one thing i haven't talked about is um, you know we talked about behavior impact statement type feedback but we didn't really talk about asking for feedback so before i talk about what they should do i probably should start with quickly what they should be doing every day so every meeting you have really if it makes sense and be very, very specific. So if you're going to ask someone for feedback, the feedback is not, hey, how am I doing? The feedback is, hey, um, that was the first time I wrote a pre-briefing for you instead of having PR do it. Um, did that work for you? Did, was it a good briefing? And did it give you the right information that you needed to do to do the project? Um, that's a very specific piece of, of you know feedback. Another one, I'll never forget one of my VPs, after lunch said, "Uh, I've got some feedback for you. And I was like, okay. And he goes, no warm sandwiches. And I was like, "What? what? That's so weird, okay. And he was like, when you order a sandwich and it's warmed, by the time it gets to the office and then by the time I actually eat it, it's just a mush. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And I've never forgotten that, no warm sandwiches. So it was this tiny little piece of feedback, right? It didn't hurt my feelings at all, but it's really valuable to think about why. So you know, if you're feeling like things aren't going well, you've got to ask for feedback and you've got to ask for feedback on exactly the topic that you're having trouble with. Um, The next thing I would say, you're doing all the work, you're asking for feedback, you're giving them the behavior impact statements, you've met with their direct reports, you've met with the other EAs on your team and you're asking them questions. You know, just just remember like, you have to fake it till you make it. A lot of us struggle with self-esteem And I do hear about that a lot when I coach, you know, like it's really hard for me to speak up in meetings. It's really hard for me to do this, but EAs are the heartbeat of the whole company. We have some of the most amazing power and we mostly decide how each executive spends their time. And that directly impacts the success of the company. So if you're questioning your own power, let me say this once more, you decide how your executive spends their time. If you are not protecting that time, making sure that the time is spent with their top priorities, you know, your OKRs, um, then you you may be feeling like you're failing, but if you align that as your North Star, you can't go wrong. Um, And executives who are late or flaky, they'll probably never change, but you work around them. So you need to be their good PR. You know to buffer an extra 15 minutes in between meetings, You might need to send a text or a Slack message to remind them to end the meeting in five minutes from now. Or you may need to send a proactive note to the next meeting to let them know that your exec is running late. But don't worry, everyone knows it's not you. You're not the late one. Mm -hmm. It's them. But you need to do the buffer job. You may need to come up with like a 1000 fibs about why they're late. And that's okay. That's what we get paid for. Um, And new execs, they need your patterns and your training. They need you to tell them what your role is. They need you to literally say, my job is to make you more successful, to save you time and to take on things that you shouldn't be doing. And like, just repeat that to them every time they resist (laughs) because they don't know. They need you to set your own boundaries because they don't have any boundaries themselves. So one reason it's a joy to support someone who has kids, which I discovered only after I started supporting people with kids, (laughs) is that they have to have boundaries. People without kids, Often have zero boundaries, and you're going to be working till midnight at the office with them. So, if people with boundaries will understand your boundaries. And um, one of my workarounds, specifically at Slack, was you know, Cal is not going to be like the guy we constantly hang out and talk. We're not hanging out on the weekends. You know, we have a very efficient relationship, and he is so funny, and I love working with him. But because he's not needy, because he's not the person asking me which, you know, pair of, of, of shorts to pick out for the, you know, event or whatever, and I do mean shorts, because that's all he wears. <laughs> um, but like, he's not a needy person. And what that means for me, it's opened up my career in a way that's allowed me to spend time doing other things. So, you know, I'm not getting that like midnight phone call frantic about someone trying to pack. I'm actually able to write a career path for my admin team, you know. I'm able to go and teach other companies how to use Slack and do demo trainings because I proactively identified that, you know, that fulfillment that I'm looking for, it's not going to come 100% just from the relationship with my executive. It's going to have to come from like a well-rounded career doing a lot of different things that I enjoy doing you know, like podcasts and writing articles on LinkedIn and and mentoring and coaching EAs. So you have to find your joy and you will always find it when you're open to different solutions, you know, to maybe not the traditional, it's got to be this way. It's got to be my execs got to be the best, you know, maybe you have a tough exec, but they're not too much drama. And maybe you love your admin team and you love your company. I mean, figure out what it is that keeps you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like that old, like, Um, stay conversation that you would have with your exec what would what would keep you here and what would make you go somewhere else figure out what that is
0: so final question for you Shelly is if you had the opportunity to support anyone throughout history or time who would you choose and why painting
1: assistant to
0: Frida Kahlo or
1: Gustav Klimt And actually, all the artists who I thought of, who I love, were all very, very difficult people. All of them. Yeah. Like, would be a a nightmare to work with. They
0: are the brilliant a hole prototype that that we talked about. Oh, Oh. and probably probably horrible communicators, right? Like, yeah. Disaster. Time uh... management? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's not happening.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Alcoholic, you name it. Drug addict, yeah. (laughs) So. But I thought about, you know, of course, like art being a passion. But I think honestly, the person who can solve our global warming crisis, um, I don't know who that is. I don't know what company that is. But I know that, you know, someday, not any rush, but someday after Slack, it would be really cool to do something where I work as hard as I work, but I'm doing it for, you know, like solving a a real crisis in, in the world.
0: Well, I feel like I've learned so much. I loved hearing all of your input and I love being able to just throw like literally the kitchen sink at you and all of the <laughs> all of the cumbersome, icky, sticky, difficult situations and really hearing you debunk those and diffuse those. And you know, obviously there's multiple slants, right? So everybody's gonna have their own perspective on, on how to tackle What is difficult. Um, But I really appreciate the way that you approach the situations that we talked about today. And I think you've really provided some um, really specific, usable information. Like, I I hope that people were inclined to jot down notes um, as I was, you know, listening to you, because I think there were some really great, elegant sound bites and and how you tee things up. So um, thank you so much for for offering this mentorship to all of us. I really, really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you so much. This was really, really fun to do.
0: Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.